0: Hey, everyone. My name is Nick Lambert. I'm the CEO of Doc, and welcome to Identity3, a podcast all about identity and Web3. And it's my great pleasure to be joined today by Martin Kupinger. Martin is the founder and principal analyst of Kupinger Co. Welcome, Martin, and thanks for making the time to speak to us today.
1: Welcome, Nick, and everyone listening to this uh, podcast, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Our, our, very much our pleasure. Martin, let's kick things off. Um, could you, first of all, please introduce yourself and then also your your company, Kupinger Coal? Well,
1: Kupinger Coal Analyst is an industry analyst firm. We're headquartered in Germany, but uh, working globally. And we are focusing on identity management, digital identity, and cybersecurity only. So we are really very focused on these three areas. This is our business. And we do what industry analysts do. So we do research like our leadership compass, where we compare vendors and different market segments. We do events like the European Identity Conference, which runs every year uh, mid-year around mid year in Berlin. Uh, we do some level of advisory. We don't touch systems because we're already independent and vendor neutral. I myself, um, I'm one of the founders and acting as the principal analyst, so heavily involved in our research um, and have a long history in identity management so I think I started back in the late 80s with early network and land manager versions and banyan wines and things like that a lot of people probably don't remember anymore and from there I've sort of always were uh, close to the identity segment which has fundamentally changed since. and so when we look at decentralized identity today versus uh, old network operating systems, uh, some three decades ago a lot of things have tri- changed and i have seen
0: a lot also was reading this morning martin that uh, i should congratulate you on on 20 years i think uh, Cooping our coal has been in business for uh so so kudos for for that not many businesses uh, i think it's 80 percent failure rate so so uh, although that's a pessimistic tone uh, Cooping our coal is obviously uh, in extremely good shape so congrats for that thank you no, you're welcome. And also, I, I was reading as well, I think you've you've written over 50 books as well, so you're a fairly prolific um, writer as well as kind of analysts. You're, you're definitely keeping very busy, it seems.
1: You, you know, when, you, when you're an analyst, you need to be a good writer, I believe. It is, um, you, you need to bring uh, things to paper, in quotas, and, and so you need to be a good writer. And yes, I, I did a lot of book writing stuff in the past, and maybe when I'm um, going more towards retirement, maybe I uh, come back with some books. Not sure about that yet, but um, I love to write things and I love to talk about things. So, yeah,
0: happy to be here. Okay, let's get down to it, Martin. So, what is the business impact of doing digital identity right?
1: Yeah, that's that's, that's I think a very very good question um, because, and I'd like also to differentiate a bit between IAM, like identity and access management, and digital identity. Um, they they are. Close, but they are also different. So I am really our traditional discipline of managing the identities of humans. We started with this workforce, we added consumers and partners, etc., and things and services, and their access and governance aspects and security aspects, etc. Digital identity, I think, it's the perspective where we talk way more about business enablement. So, the the potential of enabling things and there there are billions trillions of digital identities out there because it's the humans but it's also the things the services etc that have digital identities and we we in a digital world in a digital business it all starts with the digital identity there's the relationship aspect so how do things relate to each other which digital identities of services of things of humans I as a human have Whatever uh, 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 a smartwatch or a GPS enabled watch for sports. And this is related to me and to apps and to other things, which requires IDs. But there's the other point. When you look at every digital journey, it starts with me becoming from unknown to known to have sort of an idea, ID and identity from the perspective of the business. So you can't do digital services. You can't succeed in the digital journey without having a good grip and doing it right uh, with digital IDs. And, you know, just look at drop off rates during onboarding in e-commerce, churn rates, people not coming back. And it's what we do every day. So we think, Oh, I'd like to go there back again, whatever, to this wine shop. Oh, I forgot my password. Password spotter error password anyway but it means it, it makes it still difficult to me and if you're better in dealing with that then we will be more successful in business if I could just come back and not think about this just do my business I would do it I probably would do a lot more business with more entities that are specialized instead of very few very big ones
0: Yeah. And so, so the the business impact there is really, it's, it's almost like you're saying that you almost in the modern age, you almost can't do business without a progressive, uh, well-considered digital identity strategy. Um, And there's a lot of regulations and and things happening now, Martin, in the, the digital identity space and almost kind of moving into other aspects of identity, like kind of, um, uh, self-sovereign identity is, is one way that to express that, and so we're seeing um, things like uh, eIDAS come through, kind of um, regulations mandated by to, to the EU member states. Um, there's things like the, the EU Wallet coming through as well, and these all present risks, but they also present significant opportunities as well for companies working within this space. So, what are you seeing as the most significant business opportunities? Presented by these um, up-and-coming regulations and technologies,
1: we, we definitely must look at the opportunities uh, that are in there. And um, I think with the UDI wallet, so the EU decentralized identity wallet, as as a place to keep proofs about who I am and a lot of other attributes, um, we are getting some. We, we see it the EU driving things. Um, and this is very close also to um, what, what I have been talking about just now. So it can, done right, and this is the important point, done right, it can make my life much more, um, it can simplify my life as a user. If I have a wallet which contains all my proofs, which says this is Martin, which is proved by, something which is represented via his EID card. If I have the proof of um, I'm working at Google Analysts, if I have whatever um, proofs from my bank, from other things, then business will massively simplify. And this is the, the huge opportunity that I say I have everything here. I don't need to authenticate to register again. It's all in my wallet. one of my wallets, maybe, I present it, and I can use it. This makes a lot of things way simpler than they, they are today where I need to register on every single website. So it's I own my identity, I can share it, and I don't need to recreate it. It's a fundamental shift from a central to a decentralized model. A central model with thousands or millions of entities, organizations, trying to have the identity of their customers to they consume it. They have it in their system of records, what they need, but I control it. And this is, I think, the, the paradigm shift, which is important. The big challenge I see is to really make this work globally and super, super simple. So it must be very easy for me. And it must be And that also includes it must be I would say risk adaptive. So, um, if I do something simple, I just want to use my fingerprint to open my wallet. If I have a high volume financial transaction to do or something very important with my government, I may say, okay, I add another proof. I whatever put my eID card uh, to the RFID um, reader of my or the NFC function of my my smartphone, and that's it. So this is what I. I'd like to do. And it must work globally. So it must work for everyone because I, as a human, I do business globally, not only with European companies. But I think we have an extremely interesting evolution here. I personally also prefer the term decentralized identity over self-sovereign because self-sovereign is, the sovereignty part is a bit, uh, too many meanings of that. Anyway, so this is, Nick, a bit of my thoughts here.
0: Yeah, I agree. Actually, the self-sovereign term, not not everyone is uh, a fan of sovereignty uh, in the way it can be um uh, meant as well. So, yeah, decentralised definitely takes that part out of it as well. Um, what can companies do, Martin, then to prepare for this? And I guess we've got companies and also kind of government regulations coming in. How can, and like you said, like a paradigm shift in terms of how um, these identities can be either delivered or stored. How can companies uh, prepare in this shifting landscape? So the first thing is, learn. You need to understand what this is about.
1: So what is, what are we really talking about? And to also surely look at some of the, the things that are evolving. What do they mean? How, how are they implemented? Um, as far as regulations are concerned, um, it's usually a wise spent time, even while it's a bit of an uh, daunting task to, to read through regulations and to understand what, what do they mean? Even while these regulations usually are a bit unclear in the, the exact details then, but it still helps to, to spend a bit of time. But I think the most important thing is, um, I had a very interesting conversation with, uh, with someone just recently about the, um, disruptiveness versus non disruptiveness of decentralized identity. And I think this is, this is a very interesting point because decentralized identities are disruptive in the sense of they potentially enable us to do very different things or things much better. So they are disruptive to approaches we had. We don't need to manage every identity the same way we did. We don't need to register people. We just consume information from a wallet which is a disruption to the way we did it for decades, for, since e-commerce was introduced. It's, it's very disruptive, but it allows us to do things differently and better. And this is a positively disruptive potential to do business, digital business, in a very, very different manner. On the other hand, it's non-disruptive. You can add decentralized identity very well to the identity management systems you have. It's just replacing your, your your standard registration authentication process. It's just another means for registering and authenticating in that sense. It's just another connector, however you'd like to phrase it as a tech person. And the same manner, it can be very well integrated into enterprise IAM. Imagine you improve the onboarding process of employees, which frequently are, are um, somewhere uh offsite, because in, in, in today's world not everyone walks into offices. Imagine you just can say, okay, I have to prove that it's Martin. It's a good proof. And I can directly load, so to speak, or, or consume this proof that it's really Martin. This is his address from his EID card. Um, UDI wallet, EIDAS, etc. behind it. Then my process of onboarding employees will become much faster and smoother, and I save money. I save money by reducing process cost. Same for onboarding partners. We have a huge challenge nowadays in supply chain management, supply chain risk, etc. We can improve a lot of things, and it integrates with what we have, but it can improve what we have as well. And I think um, we, we must not be concerned about disruptiveness, but understand it will not break what we have it can expand sort of embrace and extend, so to speak, what we have, but allow them for disruption and doing things from enterprise identity management to digital business so much better than ever before that we really must spend our time learning about what it means.
0: And Yeah, I think the disruptive part, I think people typically don't like change. Um, And so sometimes we need to push through that and know that um, or have strong instincts that something's going to be better It just requires time to, to educate yourself and get used to it. Um, but it's fundamentally a better thing. So we should, we should, we should push forward and push against things like that. So
1: maybe let me quickly break up one point here. I've been in the identity business for three decades and I've never seen something so positively disruptive in the sense of enabling without breaking than decentralized identity. So it's the biggest paradigm shift and the biggest opportunity beyond identity, really into the digital business. And I think this is what we need to understand as a starting point for the journey.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's great because it is also good for you know businesses. Like you said, it, it minimizes um, the work that they would need to do, the, the level or the volume of things that they need to manage that they would already manage today but also it has that benefit to the individual of enabling them to start controlling uh, this information, controlling their access and controlling um, who has access to, to their data. Um, so I think it's it certainly seems like a win-win we just need to overcome the kind of education that, that's obviously required at the front end of, of that change. Yeah, And so one of the great things that, that enables is, is something that, that has been termed kind of reusable identity. So, you know, using identity that's given for one thing, enabling the individual, like I said, to control it, and then to be able to use that in, in, in different use cases than maybe what it was originally intended. What impact do you see reusable digital identity technology um, having on the digital ID landscape, uh, Martin. You, obviously, you're you're very enthusiastic about it. Could you talk through that a little bit more, please?
1: Yeah, so so I think this, this reusable part is, is really the the charming thing. As I, I talk a bit about drop off rates, etc. So every one of us knows that. So you're you're going to somewhere and you say, okay, I what well, is interesting. I'd like to buy it, and then you say, okay, I need to enter all that data again. And then sometimes you say, okay, I go somewhere else where I more already have my account. So some of these things became. You know, a bit smoother by saying check out via PayPal or something like that. But it's still um something which is in some sort of uh some sort of hindrance. And if we can overcome this, if we are also automatically authenticated, if this all builds on the most current information, so proofs also can be, become invalid, they become can become outdated. We have control about it, what we share. So also this these annoying, I think uh, envision and uh, in a couple of years, hopefully earlier than later, we will also hopefully get rid of all these annoying cookie banners on website because we can control what we share. We can control this via our proofs, via because behind all this, then the sort of contracts um, derive, and this will make make this much easier. And so it will remove hurdles. And at the end, there's also a cost associated for every business in maintaining information. So who are your active customers? The data still current, all that stuff is also causing cost. And so not needing to do everything yourself simplifies a lot. You can be faster in delivery, better in delivery.
0: But adoption of new technology always comes with uh, some challenges as well. Uh, We talked about disruption or you mentioned disruption a moment ago, Martin, what are you seeing as the challenges for, I guess, not only organizations, but also maybe individuals um, in the identity uh, kind of space? What, what would they have to overcome, do you think?
1: Yeah, so I, I think to, to make full use of this technology and to integrate it easily, it depends very much on, on where you stand today. So if you have a, a good, a modern, uh, flexible architecture, it's easier to incorporate this. If you have a lot of legacy stuff, for instance, in your, your e-commerce system, then it may be more difficult to implement a new way for people to come in and to share information, et cetera. So it depends a lot on, on what you have. The same is true holds true for enterprise IAM. So imagine you have to prove which say, okay, this is Martin, he's working at this client currently in this project and this role. You can build your authorization on that, which whatever Teams folder which SharePoint side is Martin allowed to access. If you have the technology in place for such a policy-based, attribute-based authorization. Again, it depends on where you stand. So not everything will be not everyone will be able to utilize the full potential from the beginning because it's also part of the modernization of your your legacy, so to speak, legacy consumer applications really moving to modern digital services, digital so modern architecture. That is one part of it. The other part of that is clearly also the, the user side. The user side is, um, I think, the, the biggest hurdle is that we um, go over the top with security. I'm, I'm a big believer in security. Don't misunderstand me here. But we always need to think about what is the, the required level of security. I touched this before. So if I just want to um, do a small e-commerce transaction, the security requirements probably are a bit lower than for a big financial transaction. For a lot of governmental interactions, there are low requirements because I trust what I would want to access this form or do that or that. For others, it's it's a very high requirement. And we we need to, to understand that that the the way we we can use this the um, are adequate. So if you always need to, whatever, pull out our eID card and hold it to the NFC uh, or to the smartphone for NFC communication, then it's cumbersome. So we need to understand what do we need when in a realistic manner. And um, I think there's a bit of a tendency in in uh, when you look at some of the, uh, the 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 bodies involved in standardization to be very very. Uh, s- security centric. I think the same is, is like with, with identity verification, identity proving. So w- what is really needed here? And we need to think in levels of assurance at the end of the day. So what is the level of assurance we have for something and what do we need? And most of the stuff we do is, is a low level thing. A few things are a high level of assurance. This must map. And the other thing I think, which which can be a break point is, or two, two other things. The one is, um, I don't believe that there will be one wallet. I have more than one digital identity, at least business and personal. Minimum two. So I need two wallets, but I don't want to run through this annoying video ident processes more than once. So I want to reuse a proof across wallets. That is very important to me. I also want to have a situation where when I switch my smartphone, I easily can say, okay, here I have my wallet again without, any complex things I need to go through. It just should roam, so to speak, with me. I, and I should be in control of that. This is, absolutely believe, super essential. And then there's the part of the world is global. And we will see wallets coming from, coming with browsers, coming with operating systems, etc. I want to have a free choice. And if it then ends up with, I can do 95% of the things I'd like to do with a standard wallet, but for 5% with governments, etc., I would need another wallet. Then this would, for instance, clearly disrupt e-government adoption. So and the wallet is not the point where this thing is decided. The wallet is just a tool. What is important is how we use that information, how we communicate. So the standards are essential between wallet and the target and the integration. And there's no business in the wallet, no real business. The business is in the digital business in getting better there and for some it's in the integration of this technology into the, the existing world but it's not in being the dominator of the wallet
0: yeah it, it was interesting when you were talking there martin i was thinking about i recently verified my identity on linkedin i don't know if you've gone through that process and when doing that, I had to take a selfie and I had to, to basically scan the the near field chip on my passport as part of that process. And I was thinking through the kind of five or 10 minutes that it took because it didn't work the first time, much easier if I could just upload a verifiable credential to, to LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree that things are going to get better there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, to have, um, I guess, identities that are not only wallet agnostic, but also kind of phone agnostic, I guess that's... Um, That's where we should all be headed. You talked a little bit at the start of... Sorry, go ahead, Martin.
1: Yeah, I think the point is if people like you and me, which are both, I would say, tech-savvy, struggle with something, then it's wrong. Then it's broken. So if you and me struggle with things like identity verification, then something is wrong. And then we at least must minimize it if there's no way to overcome it. But ideally, we fix it.
0: I think as well, I, I sometimes wonder as well with new technology, and I've been in this kind of, the, the space you would call it decentralized or blockchain or Web3, whatever the flavor of the month is for for some time now. And I think I think it's sometimes a little unfair where um, it's often compared to how did it work in Web2 or these early technologies and, and how the user experience is not quite as good. And the reality is when you're making fundamental changes to how something works in the infrastructure, it does take time to go through all the learning of the user experience. You have to go through it all again. So sometimes to compare like kind of this new technology that we're using with with today's technology and how smooth that can sometimes be, uh, can sometimes um, seem a little fair. I I think a lot of this process will get a lot better um, over time. Uh, But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I'm positive on that.
0: Yes, yeah, I think I think we both are. I think we'd be in the wrong jobs if we weren't, Martin. Um, yeah, so, so that's good. <laughs> True. Um, I think at the start of the conversation, y- y- we split we split up. Yeah, we split up a little bit. Um, you know, we started talking about identity, and you talked about IEM identity access management, and you you did a good job of like kind of differentiating between the two. If we can then go back to to IEM just now, I know you've talked about it or mentioned it a few times through some of your kind of recent answers. Uh, maybe you could kind of redefine again just IAM um, um, and what that is and how it relates to identity, and then maybe expand into what are the most common mistakes uh, made in in uh, projects or technologies or companies focused on identity access management.
1: Yeah. So as I said, I think it makes a bit sense to to differentiate between IAM, which is really the the enterprise workforce, et cetera, internal thing. How do I deal with the identities? How do I control access? A strong governance perspective. So so factually when I started, this was very much about um synchronizing accounts. Um, so things like meta directories, et cetera. It was a very administrative thing. Then we added a bit of, of user experience like Singles and On. Then uh, with more regulations like Sarpens Oxley Act, um in the whatever, around 2008 uh, governance and recertification and things like that became way more important. Um, and so so we moved forward and, and we, we then moved towards identity security also is a very common term, which is really about identity playing, playing a very central role in cybersecurity. And it's, I think, a very, very close uh, relationship here because security starts with identity. It starts with Martin authenticating. So the entire Zero Trust journey Starts with identity, and it ends with controlling access. Um, and then, then we we see that there's also this this really this impact on, on the digital business. And this is then really where it moves to more the digital ID field. But doing the things right within the enterprise, this is uh, including the the security aspects. This is what I would say is, is the IAM part.
0: Um,
1: in some sense, the enterprise IAM part because it's done by enterprises by organizations. And the other is the digital ID part, which is really for the digital business then, and, and so our, us as individuals dealing with whichever type of organizations, be it my favorite football club, be it uh, an e-commerce um, dealer, be it uh, my government uh, or whatever. And so this is the distinction I would make. So when we look at enterprise, I am long history and you're right in sort of, in some way saying, uh, it's not a simple area because a lot of projects tend to stall there. Um, I think one of the challenges identity management in the enterprise IAM has, it's, it's always cross divisional. So you integrate different applications that are held, owned by different people in the organization. Um, you, you deal with different use cases and this is a starting point. So projects that are cross divisional always are more complex than. Projects that run in a in sort of very isolated area. That is, that is one part of that. You have to deal with a lot of applications from good old legacy to very modern SaaS services. So, so I know enough in organizations which have everything from RAC F on the mainframe to a lot of modern SaaS services. And th- there's... Many of the services are different, and many of these are unfortunately not very good because, especially the older ones, and and having to write APIs, etc. The services all tend to have their own um, entitlement and and access control models. So, again, a lot of variety. This makes it relatively complex. But I think what what are the common pitfalls? When we look a bit at the pitfalls, and this is not a a fully extensive list here, but um, one is really. I think it starts always with, with understanding what you want to do. So having a blueprint, we created a couple of years ago the term and the concept of an identity fabric is something which really takes a holistic perspective and identity management across all the types of identities, so humans, non-humans, to all the services and the different capabilities. This is quite broadly used nowadays, and I think this is a starting point you need to not to to work in isolated areas, but you need to have a picture in mind, and then you need to to uh, to 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 split it into smaller steps you are doing. You need feel the budget, you need the people, which is also very tricky. You need to understand your requirements of today and the future. You don't need to be too tool centric. I see too many projects which start with the tool and not with what are my requirements. What are of today in the future? What are my processes? What are our policies? What are my processes, etc.? And then come to the tool. So, this is a risk. Um, I think one of the things which also leads to to a lot of challenges is many areas in identity management take a while until they are delivered. So, if you have a project that runs two years, then the the people spending the budget get nervous at some point, and this is way ahead of the two years. So you need to demonstrate quick wins, as well as big wins. I think this is very important, quick and big wins, to have both, to demonstrate progress, to to have a good stakeholder management, to talk with the people. These are all things which, which are very important and you can make every identity management pro- project a win and a success. But you need to be good. It's surely one of the more complex areas of running projects.
0: Yeah, I think as well, like what resonated when you're speaking there, Martin, was and something that we try and hopefully <laughs> avoid at Doc as well, is you see a lot of people in the, uh, or a lot of organizations and also people in the um, decentralized identity space who have clearly and understandably fallen in love with the technology. But then, like you say, they fall in love with the tool and they definitely lose sight of the use case or even, how can they as a business actually make money? Uh, you know, what problem are they solving for businesses? And um, so it was interesting to, to hear you say that because that's something that that I've come across a little bit before as well. So um, it was certainly good to hear that. Um and I think also becoming agile uh, or maintaining that kind of level of agility as well is, is important, isn't it? Like maintaining that startup mentality where you ship often and you might not ship the perfect thing every time, but um, you're shipping something to demonstrate progress, like you said.
1: Yeah, and this, it's interesting because um, I have a sort of a split mind regarding agility. I, I think it makes a lot of sense to to have smaller steps and move forward. The risk is um, so, and I think a lot of people uh, interpret agile as I, I just do something without a plan. Uh, let's phrase it a bit, bit maybe harsh here, but you need a good architecture. And this architecture must grow. An MVP must be constructed in a way that it can be expanded to the next level. It means there, there are some things in the architecture, some things in the frameworks you have around that, that are required to make this work. So, so you need to set the right uh, sort of foundation borders to, to work with Indies, with your Agile methodology, and not in a totally free space. And I think this is very important also for identity management, because it's, it's nothing which happens in a on a fully green field and, and isolated from, from everything else. But yes, I think you need to be agile. You also need to be very methodological. methodological. Um, so one of the things in uh, one of the problems since decades in identity management is application onboarding, because you connect to a lot of applications in managing identities and access in authenticating, in privileged access, etc. So multiple areas for, for application onboarding. And at the end of the day, um, you can standardize a lot by understanding what are the common patterns. So there are connections via web services, via LDAP, via a few different ways and different models. And if you standardize that and then do it in a repeated manner, then you can be very agile in adding one af- application after the other. But if you end up with reinventing the wheel again and again, then you will lose. So you need to find a very good balance here um, to do things right. And yes, you need to reflect, Do I am I doing the right things? I think this is true for everything. Does my architecture withstand change? is it made for the future, which is, I think nowadays, when we look at modern architectures, microservices, APIs, containerized, et cetera, it's way simpler than in the past because we can scale much better um, if you don't make two fundamental mistakes. But yes, we we need really to to understand a lot of things and to be good uh, to succeed.
0: Yeah. It's almost like using kind of constant retrospectives of what have we done and where you constantly evaluating what have you done and where are you going is something that's very simple to do but um, certainly very necessary you talked about a few different things um, Martin there in terms of, of what companies can try and do to overcome these challenges is there anything else in terms of advice that you give to organizations looking to maybe modernize um, their, identi- their existing identity, governance infrastructure and administration
1: yeah I think really look at the, the big disruptive uh, or potentially as positively disruptive things. So what is it? And also look back and think about what is what is the root cause of challenges you have in identity management? I think one of the root causes and probably the root cause of, of a lot of bad in, in identity management are standing privileges. So managing entitlements in the systems which say, this is Martin who has access to this folder or this function, business function, et It's a a daunting task. It is why we then created role models, which, again, are very complex to create and and to maintain, and especially to to keep track with the changes of the organization. This is why we do recertification. I've never seen any organization globally where the people said, hey, I am really waiting for the next round of recertification. It's so much fun. It never happens. And if this is the case, if, if something always breaks, then we need to rethink it. And I think we need to, and there's, for instance, more real-time authorization, policy-based access controls, which are where we have a lot of technology. In some places, some areas, we are closer to that. If you look at developing digital services and things like OPA and other evolutions, there's a lot of opportunity already. For legacy, it will take a bit longer, but we need to think about it. And the same holds true and brings us back to decentralized identity. It can help us doing things much better than we did in the past, and so evolve. So the the art at the end of running or doing identity management projects is to have a picture which takes into account where do we stand, where do we want to be, and so also understands where, where do we need to act first and what are the, the bigger changes we can do. So not just doing what we did in the last 10 or 15 years the same way, but thinking about Okay, where do we need to do this just to fix the problem we have now? But how do we move forward from there? As I've said, we have a framework here, Identity Fabric, which definitely helps in doing that, which is very proven. Um this is can help you in, in, in on the ch- journey. But the most important thing is really I, I believe being open-minded and, and think beyond and um specifically look at what what is this what is always challenging and if as I've said, if some, something always tends to, to cause problems, then we need to think about, can we do it really in a different way? Not how do we do a better recertification, but what can we do because of the symptoms? What can we do about the cause? And yes, we need to comply. So we have the regulations. We need to figure out solutions where the auditor says, oh, that's fine with me. But we can do that.
0: Yeah, I think following compliance, I think you're you're mentioning that with regards to the Eidas yeah, uh, regulations before, and like you said, they can be quite onerous to read through. But I think I've certainly found not only reading them, but potentially also looking at others' comment, you know, providing commentary and their perspectives on the regulations also helps increase understanding. So, um, yeah, working working through regulations and working with compliance is definitely key. So, yeah, very good advice for for businesses. Um, Martin, you've been in this space for a very long time. Um, I think you mentioned m- maybe three decades or so. Um, uh, specifically with regard to kind of identity access management, looking into the future, um, where do you f- see things going um, in terms of trends for maybe the, this coming year and then slightly beyond? Do you see any any big uh, kind of significant changes happening?
1: And so I think we, the trends are, are, so to speak, already visible. It's decentralized identity with all around. It's policy-based access controls, which really see a lot of gaining a lot of traction here, I think. And it's probably it's orchestration, As if I would need to name three. Orchestration enabling us to connect the different pieces we have in a much smarter manner than we did before. And so, so decentralized identity also is related to all the, the broader web 3 area for sure. Um, so this is where we're probably as parts of your world come together with parts of my world, not that I'm ignorant towards Web3. And by the way, I I also believe the decentralized identity is is super important for everything, which is about Web3 security. So Web3 still being a bit fussy and a lot of components. But but if you want to solve security, then it's how do you solve security for the different aspects within that? And the common denominator is decentralized identity. So to address this, you need to address the decentralized identity challenge first, and then you will be much better in solving Web3 related security challenges.
0: Another thing that was a phrase I was actually um, unfamiliar with as well, but when we were researching kind of questions for this episode, um, AI identities is something that that we came across. Uh, Could you unpack that for us a little bit as well, please, Martin?
1: Oh, yes. Um, How much time do we have left? (laughs) No. AI identity is, is something I used as a term because we have AI and we have identity, and and and, and I think there's there are two aspects. One is which is looked at um, quite frequently, which is um, using AI in identity management. We see more impact of generative AI nowadays um, to to really augment users, and this is, I think this is a lot of, of AI is really about augmenting intelligence, augmenting people. In doing things better, and Gen AI with prompt books can help people to, to be more efficient and, and also to to sort of, to a certain extent, address the skills gap. We have analytical aspects already in many areas like identity, threat detection and response. And then we have the other side of the coin. And that is, we, we see more and more happening where AI is used also in building things that act on our behalf. So call it avatars, call it whatever. And so we have an, it's Martin, and we have my digital double, maybe. The digital twin term, unfortunately, is already used in another area. So we have my digital double. And and we need to deal with identities here, because this is Martin. And there's a digital representation, or multiple digital representations of Martin increasingly acting on behalf of me. Think about The metaverses, plural, there will not be the metaverse, there will be and there are already many metaverses and there will be things or my vehicle, when I enter the vehicle, my connected vehicle acts on behalf of me, powered by AI. And then we are talking about something that must have an identity that relates to my identity and the dust things on behalf of me, but not gets out of control. And this is an area where we need to spend a lot of thinking. But on the other hand, I believe that identities, this identity thinking is, is the, the core for solving all the, the cybersecurity and liability, etc. challenges we are facing when we connect things and when we bring in AI to to have things acting more autonomously, because they're acting autonomously. And this is the this is the clue really. We have here. So this is a naturalist my thinking about AI identity.
0: I've heard agents used. Yeah, that the digital twins been used. I've heard agents uh, being used a few times in relation to uh, some kind of representation of yourself, which um, I quite like. Um, and I guess as well, Martin, I don't want to get too into the weeds because it'd be very easy to do this. Like you said, we've only got a few minutes left. But even the impact of of, of AI to augment and and improve our online experiences, but of course it, it has the the opposing. Um, uh, impact where actually you look at things like deepfakes being used to actually uh, co-opt our identities or pretend to be us in order to access the, access systems as well. So I guess with any of these new technologies, there, there's a nuance to it as well. It can help, but it can also hinder.
1: But, but I think the deepfaking is something which is also very interesting. So when we look at cybersecurity, usually our problem is that an attacker needs one type of attack one, attack vector, that works. We need to defend against everything. For deep fakes, it's a bit the other way around. An attacker needs to create something that is perfect, and if we apply AI to detection, we only need to spot one weakness, one mistake in doing that. So it's potentially much more difficult to create perfect deep fake than to spot deep fakes. So we are in a better position. So we, 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 we there are things where where, where I, AI definitely is definitely. Nitely is to our advantage if we do it right. If we mature here, because the perfect uh, deepfake, specifically when it's it's um, more real time, it's incredibly difficult to create.
0: Yeah, very good point. Yeah, use AI to to detect AI as well. Excellent, Martin. I know that we're running short of time. I really do appreciate your um, uh, you know the the time that you spent with us this morning. I certainly don't want to um, uh, you know take too much of that. So. Um, yeah, final thing then, I think that we talked a little bit before we hit the record button about kind of conferences and things that were coming up. Um, Cooping Our Coal, um organizes the um, uh, EIC, which is an event in Berlin uh, coming up, I think it's at the, um, the start of June, isn't it? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, and so if our um, listeners wanted to find out more, where would they go?
1: Yeah, so see, it's already out for more than 15 years. Um, it's Europe's, uh, dare to say, leading identity-related conference. Um, so in Berlin, June 1st to 7. Uh, last year, we were quite a bit north of 1,000 people on site. Um, so really big, a lot of opportunities to make contact. And I, I, I would say everything we discuss today and a lot more is on the agenda. So we will have six tracks, as I, I believe. So we will have quite a lot of tracks, keynotes and other things. And it's it's really an, a great place, as I believe, to gather with the community to exchange about this f- from vendors and analysts and end users to people that are driving the standards. So a lot of the people who are, are really driving identity standards who are behind all the decentralized identity always are at EIC. Um, some things even have their roots at EIC. Um, so OpenID Connect um, was in some way from what I've heard invented um when some people met at EIC. So the very first steps. And so th- there's a lot happening there. It's a great place to gather, Um very interesting conference, four days packed. You also can attend virtually uh, or in a hybrid manner, whatever you need. But I think being in Berlin is cool and it's fun and it's a great event.
0: Yeah, excellent. I know Doc will be there for sure. And yeah, Berlin's a great city, so it's always fun to, to travel there. Um, any final thoughts, uh, Martin, before we pack up? Anything you wanted to conclude or, or pass on?
1: Maybe the only thing, just to summarize, so don't be scared about what is on the horizon, what is coming, what is there as, as new stuff. Make, make use of it. See the opportunity in, in, in really leveraging your digital business. By digital Identity.
0: Very good, we'll end there. Martin Kupinger, thank you very much for coming on Identity 3.
1: Thank you for inviting me.